0: Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is... Quib.
1: These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise.
0: So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile,
1: and Only go where no man has gone before.
0: Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. With brown hair and an acute, refined palate for all manner of poutine, and strong opinions about seven of nine, and no idea what day it is. She is one half of the Where's Beverly podcast. It's Sophia!
1: Yeah! Oh! Hello!
0: Hi! How are you?
1: <laughs> I'm. I'm alive how are you
0: <laughs> you know what i i had an old uh religious minister years ago who who would always and he was like a very straight laced like older like just kind of quiet dude who would always oh well, you know above ground out of jail that's a good day <laughs> like, there is <laughs> some there's some darkness in your past sir <laughs> but that's 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 become uh one of my uh frequently used sayings above ground out of jail that's a good day i
1: love that
0: (laughs) so um for folks who may not uh know you or the where's beverly podcast uh where are you uh where are you broadcasting from yourself
1: so i am uh living in the uh wonderful north of canada Yay. And my uh, podcasting partner is broadcasting from Germany. So we're doing a two-continent uh, podcast.
0: Yes, uh, the episode <laughs> uh, episode last week was with Adrian. We had an absolute blast. She and I, like, our lives crossed over more than I have with probably most people. <laughs> um, so just briefly, like, how did you know and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of where's beverly um in in a few minutes but like how did the two of you uh get hooked up together because i heard a little bit from adrian about something about really dark german operas is that is that right (laughs) It's, it's really uh, bizarre, but very fascinating.
1: <laughs> it's it? uh, one step below Klingon opera is German musical theater, <laughs> um, which is like American musical theater, but a hundred times more fire and death. So we really identified with that on like a spiritual level.
0: Nice. Oh man. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> I, you, the the closest thing I can that I have in my life that it, I can relate to that is I once got box seats for Alice Cooper and his <laughs> bizarre Holly, uh, uh Halloween fever dream of a stage show, <laughs> which, which you think is, with all of that, it's like, Oh, it should be in like some dank dark cave or like with something nitty gr- you know, something real grimy and gritty. This was in like, our really nice local theater <laughs> they just had this i was like is that is that, a, is that a giant inflated baby with frankenstein's head like yeah welcome to the alice <laughs> cooper show <laughs> like oh okay <laughs> did that stage hand just slit that audience member's throat she's a plant but yes that happened <laughs> like oh okay
1: <laughs> yeah that sounds pretty similar to german musical theater <laughs>
0: oh that's awesome that's so great was it was there a specific show that you guys that you guys connected over
1: yes yeah, so it's um called elizabeth das musical and it's about um empress elizabeth of austria which if i say that again my cat will come running because that's also her name oh. um however <laughs> wait
0: the whole thing or just elizabeth
1: oh no her full name is empress elizabeth of austria
0: that's awesome <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah it's it's it was made in the 90s and it's like if you can add more death to phantom of the opera that's pretty much what it is (laughs) like it's it's like the personification of death is the main male character
0: nice
1: (laughs) yeah so naturally we bonded uh via the internet over that musical and we communicated via email for probably a good four or five months and then we're like hey why don't we like meet in Austria and go see a musical together and we did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Were you were you were you living on uh were you living over there at the time? No. (laughs) No you just you just picked up and just went to Austria?
1: Yeah well we had talked for probably we had planned the trip maybe after knowing each other for about six or seven months but it was about maybe just over a year when we actually went and we met with another friend who's on one of our episodes of Where's Beverly, who's never seen Star Trek before, had no idea what's going on. Um, (laughs) And yeah, we met in Austria and we saw, ooh, I think we we saw a musical there. And uh, we've been getting together in person probably at least once a year ever since. And we talk like every day.
0: Uh, even so so when when what year was that first was that first meeting because
1: oh, be, it had to
0: had to be pre-pandemic right
1: oh yes okay. 2015 or 2016
0: okay cool um cool. and then
1: yeah our last one unfortunately was new year's 2020 um <laughs> <We, and> then...
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that'll do it <laughs> yeah um
1: but hopefully fingers crossed we'll get to uh, meet in person again soon
0: yeah uh, the wife and I are actually looking at Cause our, uh, 15th wedding anniversary is, uh, wow. coming up, uh, not, not this November, but next November. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the plan is to, uh, neither one of us have been, have been overseas. Um, so we're just, we're going to go to the UK and just explore. Oh, yeah. We're just going to explore the UK. And, um, that's the plan anyway. Uh, and hopefully I'll meet up with the red shirts podcast. Oh, yeah. And maybe do a little bit of a lot. Well, the plan is to um, maybe do a little bit of a, you know, sort of a meetup with them, uh, but it's three comedians. So I'd like to go with them to some shows uh, or at least one show while I'm over there and um, try my hand at slinging some jokes over in the UK. I've heard UK, I've heard UK up comedy crowds are brutal. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to be able to hack it, but <laughs> But I mean, I, we're looking forward to, you know, the history and just, mm-hmm. you know, the food and just, um, you know, just
1: where Dr. Who lives.
0: Exactly. You know, funny. It's funny. You mentioned that because we were, um, our fifth wedding anniversary. We talked about going to the UK, but that was the year that we moved from South Carolina to Florida. And so it just, it wasn't in the budget timing. Wasn't right. And that year was the Dr. Who 50th anniversary and it's just like oh man (laughs) so but the 15th should be the 60th anniversary (gasps) because our our anniversary is in november which is when doctor who's when the doctor who anniversary is so maybe we'll be there for the 60th (laughs)
1: fingers crossed
0: yeah yeah absolutely because i mean we kind of have to go to cardiff i mean i've i've heard it's not a great place but like (laughs) we I mean we're doctor who fans so yeah we have to go there <laughs> I don't know that we'll venture I don't know that we'll venture across the water to you know to any of the rest of Europe but I think I think we'll have plenty to do in in England and uh the UK over there so but we are definitely looking forward to that so um so you mentioned um that you had a friend Who's been on your show, who's never seen Star Trek. Uh, yeah. That's bonkers. But <laughs> at, to be, to be fair, like the requirements that I have for show, for appearing on my show are that you kind of like Star Trek. <laughs> that's, that's really all you, and that you watch the episode. That's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what is, what is your background? with Star Trek? Did you watch it as a kid? Um, What show did you watch first?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, being Canadian, uh, my sci-fi as a child was definitely Stargate, the uh, Canadian Star Trek. Ah, (laughs) yes. That's masquerading as Colorado. Um, But um, once Stargate was over, there was like 15 years of content because I don't count the last series um, and after that ended I needed something else to watch so I think I must have been probably about 18 or 19 when I started Star Trek it was recommended to me by people in college nice. and I started with Next Gen and immediately fell in love with it it was phenomenal oh yeah uh, it's a, it's was a great living, place to start yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I got into Voyager a little bit after that. Um, and then I'm just recently um, in the pandemic getting into DS9 and I'm obsessed with it. It's phenomenal. I'm so mad that I haven't, uh, that I didn't watch it sooner. It's funny
0: uh, to hear certain folks, because of the TNG era, which um, mm-hmm. I... I the tng era of, to me is tng deep space nine voyager and enterprise because it all kind of was mm-hmm. you know was together um it seems like every most people love tng hate enterprise or have never seen enterprise and they either love they either end up being a deep space nine fan or a voyager fan and i'm curious as to what drew you to Deep Space Nine over Voyager?
1: So I I do love Voyager. Um, I think it's, for a while, I considered it almost my favorite Star Trek show. Mm. Um, just because I think TNG was like the first. And like you see TNG at high highs and low lows. And Voyager was just more mediocre for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> um That's but, fair. Yes, That's fair. Not. Yeah, DS9, I just, I can't believe how consistent it is. Mm. Like it's just from the first episode, I've sat down to watch the first episode, mainly because I sat down to watch the first episode of Enterprise first and was like, why is this taking me two weeks to get through? Is it because like, I'm just, as an adult, I just can't watch new Star Trek content. So I was (laughs) like, well, let me put on DS9. And if I can't get through this, it's just me. And then I was like five episodes in without moving.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I was like, "Oh no, it's not me; it's Enterprise." Um, but
0: you—you're not the first person to say that.
1: <laughs> well, there's if there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you know, there's there's been people who have been on my show who have said, you know, if Enterprise was not related to Star Trek, it'd be a decent show. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think there's some validity there. I think I think they were trying to do so much. Well, first of all, TNG set a very high bar um, with iconic performances from everybody in the cast. <laughs> um, Deep Space Nine was a different show for sure, but again, some amazing performances all around. Um, not to mention you had TNG alum, you know, Cole and Michael Dorn reprising their roles on the show. So <laughs> if deep space 9 wasn't good if, if you weren't sold on on if you weren't sold on it already like here's some tng characters as well and hell picards in the picards in the pilot so um and of course they they tie it to everything uh wolf 359 which is uh basically uh what happens with uh, in the episode uh, best of both worlds uh, which I discussed on your show, which if mm-hmm. if y'all are listening to this and haven't listened to the Where's Beverly podcast, do yourself a favor, go check them out. They're really great. They put out a really great show. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, Voyager, I I really, I love an underdog story. And I feel like Janeway is the Star Trek underdog who came through flying colors with, you know, half her crew was ready to mutiny before they left before they left deep space 9 um the ship itself was not meant to be out that far um she was able to integrate not only borg technology into the ship but a borg crew member um and for the most part she got everybody home like that's impressive. That's really impressive. For
1: the most part.
0: But for the most part, you know, we had a couple of people who, you know, trickled in and out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's the shepherd. She is the shepherd. And I really enjoy watching her, you know, deal with her personal stuff, but really having to, okay, this is, that's my personal stuff. I'm going to set it here, uh, you know, on my desk and go out and lead this ship, lead this crew. And you know, I'll pick it back up at the end of my shift and you know, <laughs> and take a nice hot bath. <laughs> um, but for the most part, yeah, I love seeing I, I loved watching her and I loved watching her with seven. I know you're a big fan and have some very strong opinions on seven of nine, <laughs> but I always looked at I always I always found it fascinating because I I really loved I really loved the interaction between Picard and Data. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always saw that as, okay, if if you liked the interactions and character development between, you know, these two guys, check out these two gals and, you know, you know, listen, listen to them have a similar, a similar trajectory, but from a different point of view. And I loved that. What's let's, let's get into, just give us, just give us the tip of the iceberg about, your thoughts and feelings, <laughs> and the little hearts that pop above your head for se- for seven of nine.
1: <laughs> oh, you're you're you might regret uh, asking this question. <laughs> I just think she's uh p- part of it is like it's just a wonderfully acted and written character, and part of it is vindication that Jerry Ryan came into this well-established show and proved everybody wrong. She crushed <laughs> it. Just, crushed it. Yes, I just think that. She, you know, she's she's the she's the Spock and data of Voyager. But she's just the way that she was able to take this character and just make it her own and be. She's not a cookie cutter. The, even the storylines she get of so, of somebody who is at first so adverse to fitting in. She doesn't want to be here. We don't get the whole thing like, you know, where he just kind of wants to belong. She actively would like to be off the ship. And she's very upset that she's here. Yeah. And I love that even... Like a couple years in, she's still like, well, I'm going to listen to you, but only because you have threatened me if I don't listen to you. And I just <laughs> like that it's not really until like season seven where she's like, OK, fine. I like you guys. I'm going to admit that I like you guys, but I'm still going to be slightly bitter about it. Like, I just I, I just love that personality. And I love that she's on one hand basically trapped as a six year old girl. And but with with so, like, she's a six-year-old who's had a brain transplant and has all the knowledge of the universe, but she's still like, I don't like to share, boys are gross, and I hate everyone around me. And I just, (laughs) I love that.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. Can you give me top three or top five or even just one other show, not Star Trek related, that has a seven of nine character?
1: (gasps) <gasps> oh. Oh. So I have intense.
0: I have one off the top of my head, but I don't want to take it if if you if you end up saying it.
1: Oh, this is like slightly obscure Canadian sci-fi, but have you ever seen Killjoys?
0: I've I am familiar with Killjoys. I have not watched it, but yes, I am okay. familiar with the name, yeah.
1: Cuz my first thought there's a character on there, Anila, who has um she's grown up in this very so she's not they don't have really a board counterpart but she's basically grown up in this very isolated environment where she's only ever had one person that was her whole worldview so she's just been basically isolated and never had any other outside um basically um intervention and the person that raised her was basically an assassin Oh wow. So so her so then she's kind of dropped into this world where she sees everyone else and she's introduced as the villain because she just has no idea how to interact with people and through the course of it you kind of see her progression and see how she actually you know doesn't really like she really doesn't want to be the villain she wants to interact with people it's so kind of seeing her go from this place where she's just had this such limited worldview to seeing that her entire life she's just been kind of sheltered yeah. reminds me of seven of Nine's arc nice yeah well who, uh, who did you have in mind
0: sherlock holmes
1: oh, okay yeah
0: i'm just kind of <laughs> I, I mean,
1: makes sense. <laughs>
0: especially, especially the way he is portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I mean, mm, there's a plethora yeah. of Sherlock Holmes actors who have all done fantastic jobs. Um, but I think the way he's uh, portrayed by Ben and in, in the BBC episode in the BBC series is that uh, he, he is, he is this boy. He is a boy who in a, in a man's body, but, you know, rather than having a whole bunch of knowledge of pop culture or, you know, superheroes or food or whatever it is, he's become an expert in everything seemingly. And, uh, he he's it's, it's so fascinating because I, I, you know, kind of like data, he knows everything about humans and knows everything about the human condition, but has yet to experience it himself. And I feel like that's a little bit of what seven's got going on, but, mm-hmm. um, with him, it's, You know, data, I feel like data approaches it very, I want I want to get from here to there. Um, as opposed to Seven, who's like, you know what, I'm here, you stay over there. (laughs) I will observe from afar. And uh that's that tends to be her thing more often than not. My in the ballpark.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Nice, nice. So you mentioned that uh shifting gears here, you mentioned that you had trouble getting through the pilot episode of Enterprise like what what's your hangout with with Enterprise before we I, get I, before we get into the two episodes I forced you to watch for the show
1: I I tried. I think that we should we should approach this from the lens of the first two episodes I ever watched or the first episode I ever watched of Enterprise was the finale so it's all uh, it's all going downhill from Sophia, there. you
0: did it to yourself. Honestly, come on. I
1: know. (laughs) Um, But I, so I think that you hit the nail on the head saying that like a lot of people thought that it wasn't very Star Trek. And I think people had the same problem with Discovery. But I think now in like later seasons, it's showing that it's very much Star Trek. Um, I haven't seen later seasons of Enterprise, except for the finale. Um, But it just seems... Every Star Trek series is like a product of his time. So like TOS is super 60s, TNG is super 80s, but there's nothing more early 2000s than Enterprise.
0: Yes. Oh my God. It's
1: it's just, it's so early 2000s. And like, forgive me for saying this, but it's also aggressively American.
0: Yeah. So now, (laughs) okay. Okay. So uh, listeners, if you're keeping track, uh, the Brits have weighed in and now the Canadians, uh, Star Trek Enterprise is super american. <laughs> very very american.
1: Like it's like all they're missing is like a Dunkin donuts on the bridge and I'd be like, "Yup." <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not wrong.
1: <laughs> it's super american.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, part of that was and I mean, we we've discussed on the ep- on on the show before of how it might've been better served for them to spend, uh, the first half of a season or maybe even the first full season on earth, like in the NX, you know, in the Phoenix and the NX development program, because when Archer, uh, you know, takes command, he's little more than a pilot. He is hardly a diplomatic representative. I'm not quite sure I'd want him as a diplomatic representative of earth. Um, but, you know, he has such a unique relationship with Admiral Forrest that I feel doesn't really get explored all that much. And it would have been kind of cool to see Admiral Forrest in command and have Archer piloting his father's engine in the, in the NX-01. Um, and then, you know, through the different uh, things involving the Klingons or the Andorians, it would have been kind of cool for you know Enterprise to come under fire, and for whatever reason, Admiral Forrest is killed, and now Archer has to take command. Um, I've always thought that that would have been a little bit better um, because you're kind of much like Michael Burnham; command ends up being thrust upon her, um, and it's her opportunity to rise to the occasion. Whereas with seemingly with every other Star Trek show thus far everyone's everyone signed in to starfleet everyone everyone enlisted in starfleet there was nobody forced at gunpoint to like hey put on this uniform (laughs) um except for maybe tom paris but that's a different story um anyways uh you know with with that i i feel like uh yes it is super aggressively american uh but you know maybe some of that comes from the time you talked about it being very much of its time
1: Mm -hmm. it premiered
0: like two weeks after 9-11 so like wow yeah like oh man we were just trying to put out kind of like a nice bookend to the star trek thing and and now this happens so i guess we that had to have been a discussion either in production or writing or somewhere along the line of like no this is this is america's franchise like This is America's doctor who this is, you know, it's, it's Star Trek. So we kind of have to behind it and, and make this happen. And, you know, I don't think, I don't know that that was the best course of action because some of the things, I don't know how much more of enterprise you've watched beyond the finale and the two episodes I forced you to watch for this episode, but uh you know, there are things and it's early 2000s, but like some of the stuff that's going on is problematic, like very problematic, especially, and we've spoken about this at length. So we'll just skim over it here. But like the treatment of Topal is, a, forgive the play on words, but appalling of just like, we're supposed to be looking up to you, Archer. You're, you're basically telling her to go wait in the kitchen. Like <laughs> what are, what are we doing? <laughs> what is happening here? I get that the human Vulcan relationship is strained. I get that, but like, are, are you just an? A- are you, sorry, I'm gonna curse. I don't care. Are you just gonna be an a- old women? Like, what the hell? What the hell? Like, and you, you, and it's like he had a little bit of Kirk in him. Like, he he locked lips with a couple of ladies on on some planets. Like, okay, dude, you're the diplomatic representative. Like. You're giving a very uh, different picture of how we want Earth portrayed. Can we uh, be a little more captainy? <laughs> and that's that's it.
1: why I like Ben Cisco.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Keeps his hands to himself. Tells his son he loves him. Yeah. Respects the ladies.
0: Yes. <laughs> hey, I. You know what? If you cut him loose, I'm sure he's just as much as a, just as much of a ladies' man as anybody as anybody else. But like. He takes his post very seriously. And he's, you know, I talked about, uh, I talked about Janeway being the shepherd. I always relate, uh, you know, the archetype in my mind for Ben Sisko is he's he's the father. And it's, he's got kind of this motley crew of like, yeah, we've got some, we've got some Starfleet folks here, but one of them's my old friend in the body of this young lady I've never met before. And, you know, we've got a couple people who were mercenaries and freedom fighters. Like this ship... I always have to remind folks like, Hey, that's a Cardassian. That's a Cardassian installation. That's not a Federation outpost. (laughs) Like they took that over. Um, So yeah, but he's, he's the dad, he's the dad steering the car. And like, all right, everybody, everybody behave back here. I'll I'll turn this, I'll turn this station right around. Um, That's, that's very much his bag, but yeah, absolutely respects everybody um, and maintains that very high level of, of respectability. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Doesn't
1: seduce the ladies on company time.
0: There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh so what were your just before before we get into the recap, like what are your thoughts about this episode, about these episodes specifically? Because we get this is basically the end of season two, beginning of season three. So now we're really getting into some Meteor content uh in terms of enterprise like it's been a lot of like quote unquote freak of the week type episodes um but now we're getting we're kind of getting into some stuff where it's like all right this the stakes have been raised so just what your your overall thoughts here at the outset of uh the expanse and the zindi what did you think
1: I did well first off I didn't expect the stakes to be that high like 30 seconds into the first episode uh-huh. uh pretty impressed with that I think that they kind of went in so like high energy and high stakes it was kind of hard to keep the entire you know like finale and then premiere of season three up that high stakes. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's better than the pilot. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I think all in all, I've definitely seen better Star Trek finales and then season premieres, but I think that it it had a hard time keeping up the pace, but it tried.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah, seeing, you know, I, we don't ever really see much happen to earth at all mm-hmm. throughout the franchise and here at least they picked the right state to hit but like it hit you know they they they. I didn't know Florida. if I was
1: allowed to say that I oh, didn't want to yeah, make a you're Florida right. joke Look,
0: the penis of the United States yeah you're absolutely allowed to make fun of Florida for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> do not hold back on that I, I like <laughs> comedians take pot shots at Florida but like I lived there for three years. Yeah, I have every right to say whatever I want about Florida. (laughs) Well, anyways, let's get into this week's recap.
1: Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. alert. UPN Wednesday. Witness the event of the season.
0: An unknown alien race devastates Earth. And for the Enterprise crew. Find the people who did this. A dangerous new mission.
1: You need me.
0: After this, nothing will be the same. The chilling Enterprise season finale you can't miss. An alien probe attacks Earth, cutting a new Grand Canyon from Florida to Venezuela, killing millions, including Tripp's younger sister, Elizabeth. Enterprise is recalled to Earth by Admiral Forrest. On the way, Archer is kidnapped by the Suluban Cabal. He accuses their leader, Silic, of being responsible for the Earth attack, but Silik professes ignorance. The Cabal's sponsor, a vague and shadowy holographic human from the distant future, informs Archer about the temporal Cold War and the Zindi, the race that actually attacked Earth. He claims the Zindi have been told by another Cold War faction that humans will destroy their homeworld in 400 years.
1: So you're free Thursday then.
0: Enterprise is ambushed again, this time by a Klingon bird of prey commanded by Captain Duras at the behest of the Klingon High Council. Fortunately, three other Starfleet vessels arrive, forcing it to retreat. Archer relates his encounters to Starfleet and the Vulcan High Command, and it's clear that the Zindi of the present are preempting the destruction of their homeworld in the future. Ambassador Saval is dubious to Archer's temporal war argument and tries to dissuade him from venturing into the Delphic Expanse, a dangerous section of space that once destroyed a Vulcan ship. Archer, acting on advice from the shadowy informant, scans the crashed probe, revealing a component with an unmistakable date stamp, placing the date of construction at 420 years in
1: the future.
0: Starfleet orders Archer to take Enterprise to the Expanse to try to stop the Zindi. Starfleet refits the Enterprise with improved weapons, shields, and a detachment of Military Assault Command Operation Soldiers, Makos that are stationed aboard for the mission. When you
1: have an Uh-oh, better get Mako.
0: Ambassador Saval informs T'Pol that her assignment on Enterprise has been terminated by the High Command, who deem this to be a purely human matter. T'Pol debates that if they needed a Vulcan on Enterprise before, they are in greater need of one now, so her assignment should be continued, but ultimately complies with the order. Enterprise begins their journey towards the expanse and to return to Paul to Vulcan. They are attacked again by Duras, but Archer retaliates using his new torpedoes at a fraction of their strength. The Klingon Warbird limps away. <coughs> T'Pol reveals she has been reassigned from the Vulcan High Command, and wishes to stay on the ship. After she tells Archer that you need me, the detour to Vulcan is cancelled. After a three-month journey, Enterprise nears the Expanse, and is again attacked by Duras. Archer decides to use the 100% setting on his torpedoes, and Duras' ship is destroyed. get those wonderful toys. Enterprise continues into the Delphic Expanse, and then... Actually, Archer, you want to catch everybody up? Captain Starlog September 10th, 2153. Our mission was one of peace, but recent events have changed all that. After Earth was brutally attacked by an unknown species, the Zindi elite military group joined Enterprise in our search for these aliens. Now we've entered an unknown part of the galaxy, the Delphic Expanse. We don't know what we'll find here, but there's no turning back. As Enterprise travels deeper into the Delphic Expanse, a secret council of aliens discuss what to do with the lone human spaceship. Meanwhile, Archer directs Enterprise to a mining penal colony within the Expanse.
1: I hold-
0: He strikes a deal with the mine's foreman. In exchange for a half-liter of liquid platinum, Archer and Trip will be allowed to meet a primate worker named Keswick. Archer requests the coordinates of Zindus, the Zindi homeworld from Keswick. But the alien refuses to help unless Archer helps him escape. Archer declines, but he soon learns that the foreman had ulterior motives, since he has ordered three warships to overpower Enterprise and enslave the crew. Kessick claims to know how to escape the mine, but asks for Archer's help in return for guiding the Starfleet officers. Archer reluctantly agrees, and Kessick leads him and Tucker through the mine's sewer system. However, the group is soon detected in a conduit, and the foreman floods the system with plasma to kill them. They narrowly survive, but quickly fall into the hands of the mine's security forces. T'Pol persuades Reed to allow the newly assigned Makos to attempt an extraction, led by Reed. They perform remarkably well in combat and manage to rescue Archer, Tucker, and Keswick. Enterprise leaves orbit just as the warships arrive. Keswick dies, but not before providing coordinates for the Zindi homeworld. When the ship reaches this position, there is nothing but a 120-year-old field of debris. Well, this sucks. At the beginning of The Expanse, we get a very um well from from a distance what looks like a very small attack but like they kill millions of people like in a heartbeat (laughs) and uh we actually get to see uh someone on board the ship suffer a loss we actually got to see this a little bit when uh travis mayweather the the helmsman travis mayweather when his when he finds out that his father has passed away but now we get to see uh trip uh we get to see she didn't pass away she was murdered and this affects trip greatly in that I mean he's he's kind of an emotional pretty volatile guy anyway N- not always with not, approaches things with not always the clearest of heads <laughs> um but how did you feel about this? Big attack on earth, regardless of it being in Florida.
1: Well, I just think nothing lets the emotional rawness of like a huge mass attack on earth set in like faith of the heart 40 seconds afterwards.
0: (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, they killed the moment with faith of the
1: heart. <laughs> like I remember, like tuning in, watching this, being like, "Wow!" Like no previously on, just like full on attack, yep. and then like Dulcet guitar tones. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I t- so I take it you're not a fan of faith of the heart. You you have no like. Can can I easily can we say this about Coma- Canadians that they 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 have no faith of the heart? Can I just go ahead and say that now? <laughs>
1: If this show was about, you know, loving single father Archer, who was, like, running his cafe business and getting back into dating, absolutely, Faith of the Heart would be the perfect theme song for that show. But this is about space.
0: You know what? That's (laughs) fair. That's fair.
1: Sci-fi shows, I feel like your theme song shouldn't have words in it. Unless it's Firefly, which I I thought that Enterprise ripped off Firefly with the theme song. I can't believe that Firefly was after.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. We actually covered the the pilot episode of Firefly. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating to see some of the other sci-fi properties that have come into existence after Star Trek. Different things that were adopted from Star Trek. And then because there has been Star Trek after those properties things that star Trek took from them. And, uh, you know, yeah, with, uh, with the theme song being right after that really heavy moment, I wonder if something a little more subtle would have worked a lot better of maybe just of maybe just the title on a black card and just, you know, and then let it fade out and then go right back into the scene because it's super, it's super high emotion. I don't know that we've had, not not many other instances of this level of emotion uh, on board the ship from these characters like we do here, because,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it's it's pretty rough. That's pretty brutal. And I will I will say we've given Connor Turnier, um our fair share of grief for his performance as uh, Charles Tucker, the third. Um,
1: really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. he's He's well, again, born. I'm born and raised in the south. So I know what a Southern accent sounds like.
1: Wait, so I just thought that he just didn't know how to talk. What is he trying to do? <laughs> like, is that <laughs> supposed to be a Southern accent? Yeah.
0: So he's he's, oh. he's a Seattle boy trying to sound like he's from Texas or Louisiana or I, for, I forget where he's where I forget where Tripp's actually from but uh, that's
1: terrible
0: yeah it uh it doesn't it doesn't always work it doesn't always work you know i to be honest someone should have just said you know what just just talk normally it's fine we've got a british guy just talk normally you'll be fine (laughs) you can still say that you love catfish and that you love going fishing on the bayou and stuff like that that's fine but yeah we don't need the accent you're from seattle just 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 read the lines. We're good. It's Star Trek. We're okay.
1: He's the only one of the cast that I'm actually familiar with because he played, I guess, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Stargate, one of the best recurring villains on Stargate Atlantis. So I just assumed that like he was using like an alien accent in Stargate. So it's like, oh, he just like must talk just kind of bad. But like, I guess he was using his regular Seattle voice for like his alien accent
0: maybe yeah sounds sounds about right yeah um but i mean we get we get some we get some interesting stuff here uh how do we feel about to paul wanting to stay on the ship you know she kind of like seven has been sort of forced into this position not entirely of her will um but she saw you know she found the silver lining of you know what i'm a scientist I'm taking this opportunity to get some hands-on experience and observations of humans. And, um, but she, you know, has developed some relationships and she's developed some fondness and uh, loyalty to Archer and, uh, you know, under his command. Um, But here, you know, Enterprise is about to steer into a pretty big storm. And she's given the option to opt out, uh, but chooses to stay uh how do we feel about to decision
1: good to know that a uh, stockholm syndrome affects vulcans too <laughs> like girl i would have been out of there like episode one the minute that the doctor was like you should you know trip is like really grieving you should take your top off about it i would be out like goodbye airlock me just going out in space <laughs>
0: I, I listen. Uh, i'm I'm gonna go ahead. Um I'm gonna need your consent to use that quote uh, on a t-shirt because that <laughs> trip is really grieving. Why don't you take your top off about it? That's I'm just saying
1: funny. you can access the the, the the cervical fifth vertebrae without taking your top off. Like, she could have just shrugged that nice, terrible, not at all Starfleet regulation or practical, weird pajama top. Yeah. Uh, Like, just shrugged it a little bit, and he could have accessed her C5 vertebrae, no problem.
0: (laughs) But but then it's not hashtag sexy space show. I mean, come (sighs) on, Sophia. Listen, you know it's not always about us it's not listen <laughs> it's for the it's for the greater good the greater good being american mm-hmm. television come on
1: right get picard, on card <laughs> picard has gone in the universe to say that like they've dressed seven of nine in like three layers of knitwear and it's the hottest she's ever been Like, wait hottest we, is
0: in temperature or she's never looked better
1: I'm sure both Okay, but definitely, all right. <laughs> Like m- What like sexiest she's ever been Is in three layers of knitwear So like we, we Picard goes to show that you don't need to You know get people to take their Top off to uh, You know have a fun interesting Show
0: exactly Exactly we don't need I mean Going back to the pilot episode of just like I'm angry at you all right let's turn off The lights and rub blue goo all over each
1: Other <laughs> what are we doing that's so unnecessary (laughs) burman
0: oh god oh man well uh so how do you feel about you know we're we're starting to get into uh some deeper territory with the temporal cold war are you a fan of time travel time travel stories i I love
1: i do love a good time travel story
0: favorite favorite time travel movie there is no wrong answer
1: Oh, so I'm gonna say something. And, as by somebody that um has a movie podcast, I feel like you're just gonna end call right here. <laughs> um, there's not enough riddle in in the world to make me sit for a full movie. I prefer my character development to be in forty five minute segments in uh, TV shows. And that's um, all the I time don't... we have
0: on the computer resume <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I would, I'd go much ahead.
1: rather watch like five episodes of a TV show than one movie yeah. so I can definitely uh I can definitely think of some uh, time travel TV shows but I don't think, yeah yeah
0: yeah what no what do you got what do you about got a
1: movie um well I do like it's cliche to say Doctor Who but I do not at all. I do love me some good uh Doctor Who uh yeah. Stargate had an excellent time travel um storyline involving them going back to 1969 wonderful cool um i'm trying to think of some other good ones um are you familiar with travelers
0: i know the name
1: it's it's the will and grace guy all he wants to do is just do sci-fi so he like pulled all of his money and like made his own (laughs) sci-fi show and it's about time travel but from hundreds of years in the future and they're um transported into bodies of people who have recently died in the present to try and save the future and it's wonderful
0: what? uh Where can I find that show? That sounds amazing. Netflix. It's on Netflix. All right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's travelers.
1: Travelers. And then t- um, timeless. I don't know if you've seen timeless. Timeless. Who's in it? Um. Oh God. I'm bad at names. Um. The guy from ER, Goran Vishnick. Okay. And what's uh, what's, what's that one Jeffery? called again? What's it called? Time. Again? I think it's called timeless. It's timeless. also on Netflix. It only lasted a couple of seasons. And it's um, the, the some guy, some billionaire has created a time machine and they're doing studies on it. And then all of a sudden this guy goes and steals it and goes and tries to change the timeline. Um, and they have to go to the prototype one that doesn't work as well. Um, Get this team together of a, um, a military officer, a, a story, like a history teacher and the like the tech guy. And they go back in time and they follow him where he's traveling to figure out what he's trying to do and stop him.
0: Wow. Huh. It only got
1: two seasons because it focused on a lot of um, people of color, a lot of queer storylines. So ob- I don't know if it was on, like NBC or Fox, but obviously they were like, nah, goodbye. Huh. Um, but it was excellent. I will
0: look into that. Are you much of a are you much of a comic book reader?
1: I am not. I do appreciate a good comic book, but I don't uh, read them nearly as much as I should.
0: There is a 4-issue mini series that came out some years ago called Chrononauts. And
1: Chrononauts.
0: Yeah. Um
1: I'm writing it down.
0: Yeah, uh by Mark Miller.
1: Okay. Excuse
0: me, Mark Millar. Um who did Kick-Ass? And Sean Gordon Murphy, who did uh, "Punk Rock Jesus," it's really, really great. Uh, so basically, uh, a couple guys—they are—they are scientists, uh, and they have figured out—they've figured out time travel, and they kind of do what um what I imagine American kids would do if they had time travel: of just kind of like, you know, what I want a Victorian era house. With like futuristic cars and a pet dinosaur and an and an army of uh Mongol warriors at my uh at my beck and call um while I hang out with uh Marilyn Monroe.
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: It's kind it's kind of fun. And of course, those type of antics have ripple effects across oh, I love that. all of history. And One of the others, um, so they're going in there and having shenanigans and whatnot. And someone's like, oh, we got to fix this. (laughs) So then it's them trying to fix it. And then people throughout time getting wise to what's happening. And then them trying to, not only are they trying to fix the timeline, but then trying to stop other people throughout time taking over the apparatus used to time travel and it's uh it's only four issues but it is a blast. It is so much fun. It is wow. it's a lot of fun to read. Um uh, highly highly recommend. It.
1: Yeah. That's amazing.
0: It, that's from Image Comics. Image Comics is known for uh, you know creator owned, creator controlled uh properties. So uh it has less of a it has less of a corporate feel and more of just a fun, hey, here's two best friends, you know, Getting into trouble in time and space, basically. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'm a big I'm a big fan of time travel stories as long as they are done well. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, time travel stories um, you can either go super fun or super technical with them. Um, the far end of that the far end of that spectrum being the film called Primer. Uh, it was an indie film. They basically shot it in a garage, uh, but it's these two guys who are just kind of tinkering in their garage, trying to come up with the next big advent- big invention that they can sell and you know make a million dollars and quit, the- quit their jobs. They accidentally discover time travel and they do what it starts with them doing what a lot of people would probably do with time travel is they play the stock market because they know how the oh. stock they know how the stock market's going to close at the end of the day. So they're so roughly, you know, in a 24-hour day, assuming you sleep 8 hours, you're awake for, you know, 18 hours. Um the math checks out on that, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I did do the math correctly. Okay. Uh but anyways, uh so they start playing the stock market um but basically experience experiencing the entire um trading day and then going back to the beginning of the day and having to hang out in a hotel room all day, waiting for the stock market to close so that they can make a bunch of money. Um, But they don't want anybody to know so that, so then they are also still working full time and it starts to take a toll on them because their day now went from 24 hours to over 30 hours. And they get drunk one night and it's like, man, if you could go anywhere, do anything, what would you do? Uh, and one guy was like, there was this party years ago, guy came in, he was a jerk. I'd go back and punch him right in the face. And that kind of starts this spiral of them answering the question of if you had time travel, what would you do? And, <gasps> but even small things like that of like, it, you know, it was a party. Everybody was drunk. Not, you know, that, not going to have a lot of ripple effects there, but it's one of those movies that once you see the ripples start moving out from certain events that play out throughout the narrative, when you watch the movie again, you see those ripple effects coming and certain things start clicking into place. And it is a, it is a very fascinating movie. I want to say it came out early to early, early 2000s, I think. Um, Primer 2004 was when okay. Primer came out. It's, you know, here's the thing, the movie starts with a lot of technical jargon because it's like three or four dudes talking about stuff in a garage, but if you can make it through all that, buckle up because wow. yeah, you're in for a wild ride. It's pretty cool. Um anyways, back to Star Trek. Uh we see a lot of uh we see this Zindi Council um sort of figuring out like what to do with this small human spaceship that's causing all these problems uh i think they probably should have done something about it two years ago and just blown them up as soon as they left earth you know you know leaving earth is probably the best time to hit them (laughs) but now they've waited now they've got you know better weapons and shields and, and and a bunch of soldiers on board they got the makos now so uh how do we feel about this episode the zindi um with the introduction of the zindi race and this shadowy uh council
1: so i had to watch that opening scene probably three or four times because (laughs) i wanted to know what was going on but i couldn't get past evil praying mantis. like it was just (laughs) yes like i was just i was like and i'm going to pay attention they even have subtitles and i was like no it's just so much fun i can't nope I I don't care what he's saying he's just so fun it was very I don't know if you've ever seen Farscape before but the opening scene was just straight out of Farscape for me even for the non-humanoid looking aliens the like the red backdrop it was very um Farscape prided itself on being extremely alien and this scene was like even for Star Trek was like super alien with like the evil space manatee in it's little like sea world place. Like it was just,
0: (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It made me think of, there were a couple of, there were a couple of scenes I want to say in the star Wars prequel trilogy that kind of had something like this going on too. Um, There's nothing more terrifying than a boardroom full of aliens. (laughs)
1: It was just so gleeful though. Like no matter, like I feel like I didn't get like the gravity of like how evil these people were. So it's yeah. like, look at him and his little praying mantis. Hands. He's so cute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they. Uh, you know, I feel like dialing back the lighting so that we can't see them. I feel like that might've been a little more effective. We've, I, you know, if you do end up going back and watching more of Star Trek enterprise I think you will see where they've uh, there are a couple of episodes that have some really heavy horror movie vibes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this was one of those opportunities as this, as we are basically getting into the storyline that will basically permeate the rest of the series, the next two seasons. um, I think they really missed an opportunity here to have it look, scary and creepy. They wanted to show they wanted to show people what these figures looked like and didn't take into account that we don't need to see what they look like. This, you know, take a page out of Spielberg's book with Jaws. You hardly ever see the shark, but it is terrifying. So let I would much rather have seen a silhouette of some wild-looking alien talking about like how are we going to kill these guys and yeah don't let me see don't let me see all the features even though I'm sure they look great the prosthetics have been amazing and then the digital mm-hmm. effects as well were, were actually really well blended here Um, but I think it was at the expense of the story it was at the expense of the feeling and the vibe that you wanted the audience to have so I think this was maybe not the best idea for this particular scene. Um, You know, we've we've got one shadowy figure, you know, from the future giving, you know, information about um, the Suleban and the temporal Cold War. And that's all well and good. But, you know, for something like this, when you're setting it up to be, you're setting the Zindi up to be your primary antagonist for the rest of your show, hold back a little bit you know maybe just show us a silhouette that's really all we need because i mean think about like even even when they're in human form a boardroom scene where you can't see everybody in the room but they are definitely in charge is pretty unnerving and sometimes terrifying like i think x files was really good about that um but yeah uh any uh Any other thoughts about these episodes before we get into the stats?
1: Well, I I wanted to say that seeing like old school, I guess it's like current day as of now 21st century uh, medical curtains in sick bay. I lost my mind. I loved it. (laughs) It's (laughs) really great. It was wonderful. I loved it. Um.
0: (laughs) It's so fun. I think Phlox is such a fun character because he's he's essentially like a futuristic witch doctor of just kind of like so we're gonna we're gonna put some leeches on you and uh, i'm gonna rub this leaf on your ear and it's gonna make your knee feel better like what what is what what
1: <laughs> i will say though that uh his informed consent is uh not not very good with the oh well you know don't worry i've organized i've engineered some sexy times for you and to paul because i didn't even give him a sleeping pill it's right. just a placebo enjoy take your top off like yeah.
0: Just... <laughs> oh like, yeah that's, he- oh. There's, there's been a couple of eye roll inducing and problematic things about Flocks uh, and Archer in their, I'll use this term loosely, care for their crew. <laughs> like, so I gave him a placebo to Paul. Help the guy out. Come on. <laughs> like, what? You're the doctor. <laughs> uh, yeah, there again, the treatment of Paul is, you know, Uh, (laughs) she's a great character, but like really gets the shaft, you know, from, I mean, for the most part, the writers, uh, the writers of this series, it's a lot, it's a lot of white dudes and like, Oh man. I think that's one of the things that really makes me love discovery is not only are we seeing a lot of representation um, on screen, but there's, it's so diverse behind the camera as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that has done nothing but just raise Star Trek to the next level of like, yeah, this was, This I hate to tell you all you naysayers, this is kind of what, this is what Gene Roddenberry had in mind, like (laughs) an African-American woman having the captain's ear back in the 60s was a big deal. That was a really big deal, not to mention uh, pre-Cold War, post-World War II, you've got a Russian sitting next to a Japanese pilot. yeah. That's a bit of a – that's kind of – there were some issues there. That was a big deal. Um, Yeah, I mean, people who get all bent up, this isn't Star Trek. Okay, you clearly haven't been paying attention. Like, (laughs) what's what's going on? Oh, gosh.
1: Anything else before we move on? Well, I like to – I love that the change from the theme song from season two, where it's the nice guitar instrumentals, what what uh, Faith of the Heart was really missing was like a cool breakaway pop remix yeah. for the opening of season three. Get that sick
0: drum beat in there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I will say though, it's the only... A Star Trek um, theme song that I never skip. Like when I was watching those, I was always just kind of like, "Oh, this is terrible," but I'm jamming along to it.
0: It's <laughs> if you're not careful, it'll get under your skin and then it'll permeate permeate your being. And there's times where I'm uh, walking around the house and I'll just. Because I got faith on the heart? <laughs> And my wife is at the end, of the end of the house. and go, cut that crap
1: out. <laughs> it's 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 hard to belt the DS9 theme song.
0: <laughs> you know what? I'm up to the challenge. I will make that happen. <laughs> maybe that's what. Maybe that's a fun little audio project that I'll do. Is just. Todd versions of all the Star Trek theme songs.
1: <laughs> well apparently the TOS theme has lyrics.
0: Yes, yes it does That's one of the uh, that's one of those old things uh, you know in terms of uh, production back in the day was even if, if you had if you had a theme song that didn't have lyrics to them, write some lyrics because you'll actually you can get it uh, copywritten as a song and anytime it plays you get paid. As opposed to just some random tune. Um, So, yeah, I think Star Trek was one of those, at least TOS, was one of those that there are lyrics. They are out there somewhere.
1: (laughs) Release the TNG lyrics. Yes.
0: Hashtag release TNG lyrics. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Well, as we do with every episode or episodes that we cover, we always ask the question, who do we blame? Uh, these episodes were both written by Berman and Braga, uh, as they've been in uh, the EPs of this series uh, so far. And I know that this this chunk of episodes, these two episodes, we are focusing on uh, director Alan Croker. This is our second a second director spotlight. Yeah, I think so. And um, however, uh, I'd be doing you all a disservice if I didn't rem- mention the plethora of guest stars that we've got here. So I'll try to get through these pretty quickly, but we've got a bunch and a couple of them are super fascinating. So uh, here with the expanse, we've got a bunch of uh, regular guest stars, John Fleck, Vaughn Armstrong, Gary Graham, Daniel Riordan, uh, all reprising their roles as Silic, Admiral Forrest, um, Ambassador Saval, and Duras respectively. Uh, But then we've got Mr. Gary Bullock, and he's the Klingon. He's he plays a Klingon council member, and this is his first of two appearances in the franchise. But the cool thing is, is he's got a novel out there called Elsewhen, and that's available on Amazon.com, and I'll include a link uh, to that in the show notes. Uh, But moving on to the Zindi episode, this is where uh, some of these are going to get a little bit longer, but. It it's a lot of fun here, I, I promise. <laughs> uh, so we got Mr. Richard Lineback as Keswick. He's the uh, Vulcan, or not Vulcan, but he's the miner uh, that you know Archer's trying to get information from. Uh, he's got some really fun credits here. Friday the Thirteenth, New Beginning in nineteen eighty five. He was Deputy Dodd, uh, and then he made his first franchise appearance in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, Season One, Episode Seven, Dax in 1993 then he's got a bunch of really fun uh a bunch of really fun uh film credits here including speed twister the jackal varsity blues the ring uh and then he's got uh his first appearance in the timeline but the last performance uh of mr Lineback in the franchise with this episode here and then his last credit to date is uh justified season three episode one uh from 2012 the gunfighter where he played uh Delmer Coates and then we've got Stephen McHattie as alien foreman um he's buried under some prosthetics here but he has got a really fantastic career he's a really great character actor and I I've all I've shouted the praises of this show for no other reason than its use of amazing character actors and uh Stephen McHattie is uh is no exception. Uh, his first credit in 1970 with the people next door. And then he's got appearances, um, you know, four episodes of Seinfeld in 92. Of course, he was on an episode of Quantum Leap in 93. One of my favorites, Highlander, 1994. He was on the episode, The Samurai. Uh, Sophia, I don't know if you've heard me say on the, on the podcast before, but before star trek before this star trek podcast there was an idea and it nearly came to fruition of a highlander podcast uh same structure i would have done it the exact same way but i was dangerously dangerously close to starting a highlander podcast it's not, it looks like you're familiar with highlander did you watch the I, highlander
1: I, series so i watched i don't know how you feel about highlander the raven but that was very um I on for some reason canadian television i think oh, yeah. it was filmed here so it yeah. th- like reruns of that so i've probably seen a good handful of those episodes but i haven't seen the uh the original highlighter but highlander the raven was interesting
0: <laughs> a thousand years old and she cannot die a creature of legend like the raven a thief stole the sun and the moon. They sent a warrior to bring her back. He found her. Together, they brought back light to the world. I was a cop. To me, she was just a thief. Another day on the job. But she wasn't. She changed my life. Changed everything. And both of us knew from that moment on Nothing would ever be the same. Yeah, absolutely. i think I think if you dig the raven i I, I highly recommend checking out the original mm-hmm. series from 92 to ninety. I say 97 or 98 it ran wow. it ran it ran for a good long while and um yeah man that that shaped that shaped a good part of my childhood i love i love that show it kind of had it kind of had a little bit of a time travel element in that he had lived for so long every episode had a flashback i'm sure the raven probably did this too
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it had a flashback to you know victorian london or you know maybe in the sixties or whatever it was, but, you know, Duncan McCloud had lived 400 years. So we had a good chunk of time to play with there. Anyways, um, Steven McHattie, he, he's also been, in, he also did two episodes of the X-Files and then we've got his, uh, his appearance on Star Trek deep space nine as Senator Renak in the episode in the pale moonlight. That was from 1998. And then he went through, uh, Mr. McHaddy went through a period of comic book properties, which I absolutely adore as a big comic book guy. So here we go. Mutant X, Birds of Prey, Justice League. He did all of those in 2002. And then in 2005, he did a history of violence. He played Leland. If I don't know. Have you ever seen a history of violence? No. Oh, it's based on a graphic novel and it's it, it's brutal, but uh, Vigo Mortensen plays the, uh, plays the, the main character and it's long and short of it is he is working in a diner in a small town. And then uh, the mafia shows up and's like, Hey, how you doing Jimmy? He's like, uh, oh, my name's not Jimmy. And they're like, oh, okay. And then it is revealed that he had this other part of his life that he just forgot. And his, the demons of his past come to visit and destroy his life in this small town and he's not going to stand for it. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool movie. It's really neat.
1: Wow. Uh,
0: so that was in 2005 in 2006, arguably top five, maybe top three comic book movies for me, the fountain, he plays the grand inquisitor uh, in the fountain. And if you're familiar with Darren Aronofsky's work, Um, as he was, uh, venturing into, uh, filmmaking, he came up with this story, tried to pitch it as a movie, didn't go anywhere, but they had a bunch of, they had a great script and some really fantastic, uh, storyboards. So they took them to DC comics and DC said, yeah, we'll publish it. And they did. And it's an amazing comic. And then after that, since DC is owned by Warner brothers, they said, Hey, you want to make a movie? (laughs) Nobody wanted to make your movie. Let's make it a movie. They <laughs> said, "Okay." Wow. Uh, and it is it is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's an amazing, beautiful love story uh, that takes place in different periods of time, and um, you know these two these two lovers. You know, nothing can separate them. Not time. Not death. Not anything. It's oh, it's it's the movie that made me realize I needed to say I love you to uh, my girlfriend at the time. Uh, who is now my wife of almost, of almost 14 years. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very special movie for us. Um, And then also in 2006, he was in the movie 300, uh, originally written by Frank Miller and of course directed by uh, uh, Zack Snyder. Yeah. That's a, that's a fun one too. This is Sparta. Uh, And then of course in 2009, uh, the very uh, controversial uh, And uh, the movie that will separate comic book fans forever, Uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen. He plays Hollis Mason, the original Night Owl. Uh, And it's a fantastic performance. And so uh, heartwarming and heartbreaking, uh, his performance as Night Owl. And then he, uh, so that's the end of the comic book stuff, but he also did an episode of Fringe. And then most recently he was in uh, Nightmare Alley, as hobo number no. one which is directed by guillermo del toro um wow. yeah familiar with guillermo del toro's work he did uh lady in the water and uh um the fish oh, excuse movie. Me, shape of water uh the first hellboy he did, movie
1: oh yeah Lady. oh the lady in the water is m night shallow yeah
0: yeah i confused yeah definitely not lady in the water he did shape of water the academy award-winning shape of water
1: the fit um, the fish movie
0: Yes. The, the, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> lady, <laughs> lady boy can a fish movie, uh, <laughs> oh, but, but it's so beautifully done. And all of the, you know, the production crew that he consistently works with churn out such great product. I, I'm going to, you know, say it here. And now it is a crime that Guillermo del Toro has not worked on anything. Star Trek um the between the prosthetics and the character building that he does i would love to see him direct maybe another round of short treks uh i love Ooh. i absolutely love short treks um i think they got some really fantastic stories uh put out into the world uh to sort of round out and fill in the cracks a little bit of the star star trek universe and I think they need to start hitting up some more of these folks. Like it's CBS and Paramount. Like you've got the money and these people. It's not like they don't want to work. Like I'm sure Guillermo del Toro would crank out something amazing for the Star Trek franchise. Uh, But anyways, yeah. Mr. McCaddy, thank you so much for an amazing body of work. Uh, Anyways, Mm. let's move on. Uh, Next person here we've got and i'm actually gonna breeze over their credits because it's the stuff that they did outside the entertainment industry that is super fascinating so mr tucker smallwood he plays the zindi primate counselor um and he's got a bunch of films you know the cotton club in 1984 contact in 97 deep impact in 98 uh the one in 2001 specters in 04 embers in 2015 uh, television. He's he's done a ton of stuff, everything from Space Above and Beyond, Millennium, Babylon 5, The X-Files, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Seinfeld, Friends, Sarah Silverman Program. I'm a big comedy guy, so I always got to mention my folks who have appeared in sitcoms. Um, and then, of course, he did one episode of Voyager and nine episodes of Enterprise. He's apparently like a big Star Trek fan. But before all of that, he was drafted into the US Army in 1967 and from six, uh from 67 to 70 he served in the US Army Airborne Infantry. Um and then while commanding a mobile advisory team during the Vietnam War, he was nearly fatally wounded in action and pronounced dead in 1969. <laughs>
1: Where's so, the movie about this guy? I life? know, I know. Where's this dude's
0: movie? Uh, after recovering from his injuries, Smallwood moved to NYC. He moved to New York and he studied acting and he started hitting uh stuff, uh, the playhouse, the neighborhood playhouse there in New York, and started working on Broadway and then slowly got some film and television roles. But his his one of his big goals was Star Trek, and he and he got it. <laughs> but like I've said this before about folks who work on Star Trek. It's kind of like, oh, man, you know, man, you got this gig on Star Trek. That's awesome. You know, what what are you going to do next? Oh, I don't know. I'm still, you know, I retired from NASA. Like, what? (laughs) People, people who think like, oh, I'm going to go be on Star Trek. It's like, okay, so are you going to do NASA first or are you going (laughs) to become a, a, become an expert in theoretical astrophysics? Like, what are you going to do, man? Like Star Trek doesn't hire dummies. Like (laughs) you got to be really on top of your game. And I think that's, what's so great about Star Trek now and hell, even back, you know, back in the eighties with TNG, like they hired like some phenomenal actors. Like look at, you're from Where's Beverly podcast. Look at Gates McFadden's resume pre-Star Trek. It's amazing. It's a resume any uh, entertainer would kill for. She worked with tons of people and was amazing at it. And then got Star Trek. Like <laughs>
1: She choreographed um, Muppets.
0: Yes. She worked with the Muppets. Like. Patrick Stewart. I mean, okay. Patrick Stewart is amazing, but again, the dude kind of wrote the book for modern Shakespearean actors. Like he is the Shakespearean actor of our age. Like he's a living acting legend and then got star Trek. Like, (laughs) and they're going the same way. Like they're going the same way now. Like Paul Stamets who Paul Stamets has a lot, you know, that character on discovery is, uh, you know, very well played um, by, uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm
1: Anthony blank. Rapp.
0: Thank you, Anthony Rapp. Um, Anthony Rapp was a bona fide Broadway star and then got Star Trek. Like the dude, the dude knows what he's doing. Tignataro, Tignataro, who's in a handful of Discovery episodes, she's not in every episode. But look at her comedy credentials. There's a reason she's super funny. Like she's been doing comedy for decades, a long, long time with accolades uh, out the wazoo. Like she's she's doing this stuff and crushing it, has been crushing Mm -hmm. it for a long time and then got Star Trek. So, I mean, yeah, (laughs) there's very few people who just get star trek there's there are a handful out there and i'm not saying that they aren't doing well but it's super you're more likely to win the lottery than to just wind up on star trek Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh anyways let's move on I've, i've set it up anyways uh tucker smallwood he's another one his book return to eden where he documents his military service and career in Hollywood is also available on Amazon.com. <laughs> and I will include a link to that, uh, in the notes. So be sure to check out that. Uh, needless to say, both of those are in my cart and on their way to my house. <laughs> I'm slowly amassing a very, uh, fun Star Trek book collection. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Mr. Randy Oglesby, uh, as Degra, his, uh, first TV credit is, uh, definitely near and dear to my heart it's one of my favorite christmas stories he was in a christmas carol made for television movie as the ghost of christmas past um i spoke at length with uh spencer garrett uh about our love of different uh christmas films and his is his is uh it's a wonderful life and mine is christmas carol but we Mm -hmm. definitely uh bonded a little bit over our love of uh, Christmas movies, and he actually schooled me a little bit uh, about some about some versions of Christmas Carol that I haven't seen yet. And uh, this past Christmas, I actually got to see the one where uh, Guy Pierce plays uh, Scrooge.
1: Oh yes, I ha- that's on my list to see.
0: Oh, I, I mean, hear it's
1: great.
0: It is phenomenal. It is it oh. exp- it expands the mythology a little <gasps> bit and puts. I mean I don't want to give too much away but I'll just say Mrs. Cratchit takes a takes center stage. Uh, oh okay I in, might in have a, to
1: watch this tonight. A, <laughs> a, it, she
0: takes she takes center stage in a very important way and it is Ooh. it really sheds some light on who she is and why she is the way she is about Scrooge and I it, that you know, for, again, for a made, made-for-television version of, of Christmas Carol, those are usually easily dismissed. Not this one. You will not dismiss this one. Oh. You will have no choice but to put it on your top top five, maybe top three uh, versions of Christmas Carol out there. It oh. is amazing. Um, have you
1: seen the Kelsey Grammer one?
0: I have not. Uh, was if that made you, for TV?
1: not- it was. It's a musical. It is oh. like legitimately terrible, but I highly <laughs> recommend it. It's just, it's whoever did the casting was definitely on something because it's just Jane Krakowski is the ghost of Christmas past. And at one oh. time, she like turns from a candle into a human and starts pole dancing on a bedpost and is like, let's look at the past. Uh, like, it's Jesse L. <laughs> L. Martin is the ghost of Christmas present, I think. And okay. Charlie Chaplin's daughter is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh, was, it's, it's so strange. Um, was this one of
0: those NBC live, like they did it no. live? No, nope. it wasn't. Oh, okay. Solidly, all right.
1: I want to say 2003, 2004. It was definitely like, like, I'm assuming Kelsey Grammer produced it. um And it's a lot of like the showbiz men that like they're in these big budget things, but all they want to do is sing and dance. So it's like Kelsey Grammer, Jason Alexander is Marley. Oh. Um, it's As Mar- just. Okay. All right. I can. All right. I'm- It's like the (laughs) top tier Christmas carol for me is definitely Muppets Christmas carol, but like this holds a special place in my heart.
0: Nice. (laughs) Nice. I, you know, uh, the, the game I inevitably play every year is sort of like the fantasy draft of like, okay, who's the best Scrooge? Who's the best Marley? Who's the best? bob cratchit and you know piecing it all together but i think my favorite version of the ghost of christmas future is from the jim carrey version it's so it's so scary it's real it's really scary um i would have and it you know it uh i kicked myself that i didn't go see it in theaters because i bet it was Mm -hmm. amazing in theaters uh Mm -hmm. jim carrey the jim carrey version's really solid it's very it's it's as accurate to the book as, surprisingly, Muppets Christmas Carol. Muppets Christmas Carol is actually fairly accurate.
1: Very accurate. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, Tim Carrey you know. one gets kind of like left out of the narrative, I find.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, he's one of those ones where if you listen to what he's saying and look at the performances he's done, of course, outside of the uh, Tom Shadyak, you know, goofy comedies, you know, Ace Ventura, The Mask, Liar Liar, all those. Um, if you look beyond those at what he's doing and the things that he is experiencing and putting on screen for audiences, I think he's one of the most underrated. He's one of the most underrated overrated actors, uh, mm-hmm. in that everybody expects, you know, everybody expects liar, liar, and the rubber face dude to, you know, dislocate his shoulder and make some goofy, weird, do some goofy, weird impressions. But like the dude's got some chops. Like he's, he's really good at what he does. And, uh, his turn as Andy Kaufman, of course, legendary. Um, but even some stuff that he's done since then has been really fascinating and really very fun to watch. And I could, I could speak about him and his comedy career prior to his film career, uh, at length, but, uh, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's get into, uh, uh, some 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 more about Mr. Randy Oglesby. Uh, his first franchise appearance was Star Trek uh, Next Gen, season two, episode five from 1989. Loud as a whisper, uh, he plays the scholar slash artist. And then he uh, then he was on uh, Deep Space Nine. He did a couple of episodes of Deep Space Nine, uh, season one, episode eleven, and season five, episode eleven. Uh, he's the episode 11 guy, uh, but he has memorable turns in Liar Liar, which we just finished talking, mentioning here about Jim Carrey. Uh, he has memorable turns in Liar Liar. He's the private investigator who records the wife um, getting it on with the pool guy. Uh, he's the guy sitting there on the stand. I, I surveilled Mrs. Cole at the behest of Mr. Cole. That's that's him. That's Randy wow. Oglesby.
1: Uh,
0: but he's also in Independence Day. <gasps> he plays the guy who asks uh who asks the the pilot guy if he was sexually molested on the spaceship in the diner that's him yeah what a
1: claim to fame
0: yeah exactly yeah (laughs) so uh mr rick worthy as janar uh he uh one of his early uh entries on his resume is Star Trek Klingon, a video game where he lent his voice to that. But then shortly after that, they liked him so much, they brought him back. This time in Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Kornan in Soldiers of the Empire. That's season five, episode 21. And then we've got Mr. Scott McDonald as Commander Dolem. His first thing, three ninjas knuckle up. I... Those ninja movies from the early nineties hold such a cheesy place in my heart. Just, just my little carotid arteries in here full of cheese and nineties ninja movies. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Uh, But his, his role was actually as Eddie, but it went uncredited. Uh, That was in 1993 and his first franchise appearance was uh, on next gen as sub commander Nevek in the face of the enemy. Yeah. <gasps> season six episode, episode 14 yeah 1993 that's a good one i mean it's next gen they're all good ones <laughs> but that is a very that is a very good one well okay there's a select frog two. hot
1: tub episode frog hot tub <laughs> episode
0: fair enough <laughs> uh then we got mr marco sanchez as corporal romero uh he actually was on captain planet and the planeteers as carlos <laughs> Uh, that was in 1992, and then he did 44 episodes of Sequest 2032 as Senior Chief Miguel Ortiz. Uh, did there you ever watch
1: 44 episodes of Sequest?
0: <laughs> there were four. There were over 44 episodes of the Sequest spinoff, which was 2032. <laughs> Wait, was was 2032 the spinoff, or was DSV the the spinoff?
1: I, I just saw Sequest out and skip. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <I don't>...
0: <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody else. Oh my god. <laughs> uh but then we've got Mr. Daniel Day Kim, uh Corporal Ooh. Chang. Everybody loves Daniel Day Kim. He was on uh, his his resume is lengthy, so I'll just hit a couple things here. He did episodes of Pretender, Seinfeld, Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, just before his first franchise appearance on Star Trek Voyager as astronaut Gatana Retz in Blink of an Eye. That's season six, episode 12 from the year 2000. And then we've got uh, Mr. Stephen Culp rounding out the uh, guest stars here today. He plays Major Hayes. Uh, Lots of uh, one and two episode runs on soap operas and sitcoms, but then he did six episodes of Push Nevada, three episodes of 24 and five episodes of ER in 1999 and 2004. So let's get to uh, the purpose of these uh, couple episodes. Uh, The director, Mr. Alan Croker, which his last episode that we talked about on this show was season two, episode 17, Kanamar. Um, Mr. Croker was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So he's uh, how, how for roughly, I mean, I don't want, you know, you don't want to put your home address out there or anything, but like how, how, how far roughly are, is he West or East of you? Or like where, he, whereabouts?
1: He is very West. Like there's, there's a full province separating <laughs> where i am and where he is oh wow yeah uh... Uh, i've only been to uh to manitoba to winnipeg once and it was with the uh canada wide science fair i got hey. an all paid expense uh, all expenses paid trip to uh lovely sunny winnipeg to Ooh. compete in a national science fair there it was a bunch of a bunch of nerds i think i was 14 the nerdiest you know outside of like a star trek convention the nerdiest congregation <laughs> <laughs> and it was wonderful <laughs>
0: i think if you i think if you if you say if you go into the room i imagine it's like a big uh like convention hall or something like that i imagine if you went in there and mm-hmm. just went star trek you'd see them all you'd see a bunch of you'd see a, you'd see a bunch of uh spectacled heads pop up like gophers just <laughs> someone mentioned probably star trek? someone mentioned star trek okay <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Croker uh, grew up in Winnipeg where he began his career producing films for the Mennonite Brethren Church and the Mennonite Central Committee. <laughs> but not long after that, uh, he stayed in uh, film and television production and he ended up directing episodes of both the, uh, of both the 1985 Twilight Zone. And Ooh. the 2002 version of Twilight Zone. So that's pretty nice. Uh, he's directed uh, two Emmy-winning performances, uh, one from uh, Vincent Gardena and the other from Whom Cronim. Uh, both of those performances in the uh, the production Age Old Friends in 1989. Uh, He's also been nominated for some Gemini Awards, uh, 1986, 1987, 1993, for Tramp at the Door, Screen 2, and Forever Night, respectively. And then in uh, 1995, he was also nominated for an award with uh, Road to Avalonia. And then uh, he also was nominated for a Rondo statuette in 2003 for Enterprise. And he shared that nomination with Rick Berman and Brennan Braga for the episode, The Expanse. One of the episodes we talked about today. So congratulations uh, in 2003 (laughs) (laughs) on your nomination for a Rondo statuette. He's also directed series finales. Speaking of uh, notable things in Star Trek that he's done, he's directed series finales of three different Star Trek series. He directed the series finale of Deep Space Nine, Voyager and Enterprise. So he's got Ooh. some he's, well. <laughs> yeah, the enter, you know, the Enterprise uh, finale is uh, something of a bit of a controversy, and we'll get to it eventually. Uh but his most recent credit is on the show Greenleaf. It's season Ooh. four, episode nine, God's Justice, which premiered Ooh. October 29th, 2019. So, have you uh,
1: seen any of Greenleaf?
0: I have not. I am not familiar with Greenleaf. What's What's the you know sell Sell it to me. What's the What's the elevator pitch for Greenleaf?
1: I'm not caught up with the most recent seasons, but I feel like with somebody with like a, a religious background, you'd really I feel like you'd be interested in it. It's about a mega church. Oh. I don't know in what state. And Keith David is the pastor of this mega church. Oh, well, and stop
0: his, drilling, you struck struggle. <laughs>
1: right his estranged daughter comes back and um gets a place in the church and it's basically the family dynamics there's a lot of really um uh bad past family history that nobody's really talking about it's i've i've watched the first couple of seasons i haven't caught up yet but it's fascinating
0: really interesting Mm -hmm. what's uh where where is that available do you know offhand
1: well it was on the Oprah Winfrey network, but I think it's, I think it's on Netflix.
0: Interesting. I'll have to look into that. Mm. That does sound, that does sound fascinating. I know, uh, connected with Adrian a little bit of both of our uh, very strict repressive religious backgrounds.
1: Yes. (laughs) I I had a very similar upbringing.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, So uh, final thoughts about, these episodes of Enterprise, Enterprise as a whole, Star Trek as a whole, your experience on the Computer Resume Podcast—what do you got?
1: <laughs> um, ooh, a big question about these two episodes. Yes. What is the poppy seed bagel alien's name? The
0: poppy seed bagel alien's name—I believe—are you referring to the Suleban? Is it sure. sort of like a green, like a? Is,
1: <laughs> he looks like a poppy seed bagel. <laughs>
0: I think if it's if you're referring to the Sulaban they were
1: I, in the first episode. They were in the, the premiere, like the poppy seed bagel guys.
0: Okay, I think you okay. are referring to the Suleban. I always okay. described them as uh, Nickelodeon gack. I don't remember if you remember. Oh no, yeah, yes. Story. yes. <laughs>
1: okay i I feel like but with like poppy seeds mixed in
0: yeah yeah like (laughs) like you took it to school and you accidentally dropped it in the sandbox of like oh damn it well i mean i can Mm -hmm. still play with it but (laughs) oh any other final thoughts before we start wrapping it
1: up that was my takeaway was what is this man's name um i think that all in all i think watching enterprise was like made me really realize how much i love currently watching ds9 being like well look you know it could always be worse it could always
0: be Enterprise. yeah yeah <laughs> that's one of the things when i started the show i was telling one of my other uh star trek uh nerd friends about it. i was like yeah we're gonna do it in chronological order and he goes so you get enterprise out of the way first i was like
1: well yeah <laughs> So are you going to do discovery next or if it's cause it's still currently airing, is that next chronologically?
0: Uh, yeah. It's like 10 absolutely. years
1: before TOS.
0: Yeah. Because after, uh, so the very next thing that, that I'll be covering that isn't enterprise in the timeline will be, um, there are, there are a few short treks, mm. um, girl who made the stars, the brightest star and Q and a, and then The currently, and again, you know, Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds may change this, Mm -hmm. but currently, after Enterprise, we go into the short treks, and then we'll actually watch the TOS, excuse me, the TOS pilot premiere, the Cage. Oh, and then we we've got one more short trek, and then yeah, we go into Discovery, and then we do
1: wow, we do
0: the first two seasons of Discovery and then this we won't see discovery again for oh,
1: yeah. a few years
0: yeah <laughs> which is going to be kind of weird because like when we see them again like Michael Burnham's bursting through the sky and like scan for life forms life forms detected yeah <laughs> it might be a little jarring for folks <laughs>
1: But I love it. That's part of what, like, drew me to this podcast. Like, I set out to watch, I think I was saying on our episode, I set out to listen to, like, one episode of yours and was like, oh, no, this is really good. I'm going to have to listen to more. Like, it's, I love the idea of, like, chronologically covering it and getting this kind of, um, this, like, cohesive narrative of Star Trek's um like value over time i yeah. just i think it's a brilliant concept
0: oh thanks i really appreciate it yeah it's it's been a lot of fun so far i've gotten uh, the pleasure of meeting folks like yourself and yeah you know, and the red shirts and the four quadrants podcast mm-hmm. and uh you know and uh in star trek we trust those guys out of boston like uh, you know a mm-hmm. lot of folks it's been a lot of fun to talk about star trek and how star trek has affected folks and how it shaped their childhood or their adulthood. And uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really anxious to see like what else lies around the next corner because it's, it's, and it's going to be interesting because enterprise the seasons of enterprise are like 22 to 24, maybe Mm -hmm. 25 episodes a piece. Once we get into discovery, Those seasons are half as long. So we're going to go through those first two seasons of discovery pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably be grouping some of those episodes together because unlike enterprise discovery is very serialized. You can't just Mm -hmm. watch an episode of discovery. You kind of have to watch the whole thing. It's Mm -hmm. one cohesive narrative. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And then you know, after those first two seasons of discovery, right into TOS of, <laughs> you know, so we go from, you know, the early two thousands to the mid to late two thousands to the sixties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'll jump, then we'll jump to the animated series in the seventies and then the eighties. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: We're covering, we're, wow. cover- we're covering all kinds of stuff. Cause we're also covering, um, some comic books. We're gonna be covering oh. some of the Star Trek comics. If they if they directly tie into an episode or a movie, then we okay. will lump the we'll lump those together and we'll talk about them as one thing.
1: Oh, what about the novelizations?
0: We're not gonna get into the novelizations just not because, in Zoddy? Unfortunately, no, unfortunately not. No. <laughs> if they ever well, if they did a comic book of that, I don't know that
1: there's an audio book read by Jonathan Frakes really i ha- it's on audible if you ever like want to like do chores or like or having like a lot of anxiety and want like jonathan frakes gently spooning you with his voice <laughs> like
0: okay nice uh the wife and i have been going through the uh the audio the dramatized audio of uh, sandman and uh that's
1: oh.
0: yeah if you're familiar with sandman it's uh it's pretty it's pretty awesome uh james McAvoy voices wow james James mcavoy voices the character of sandman and uh it is really great it's really fantastic cat dennings plays death like (laughs) that's such perfect such perfect casting for that um but yeah so uh next week oh it's good oh i'm so excited for it it's gonna be our first anniversary episode y'all we're gonna do in fact next week's episode will come out quite literally the day before the actual anniversary day. So we, we, you know, with next week's episode, we will have been doing this show for one whole year. And I'm so excited and so thankful for everyone who's downloaded it or shared it or come on the show and laughed with me or, you know, uh, hypothesized with me or whatever. (laughs) It's been so much fun. And we'll get into more of that Uh, On that particular episode. For that episode, we will be joined by the voice of the Computer Resume podcast, the lovely and talented Mrs. Kat Davis. My wife is coming back on the show for the first time in like six months or so. (laughs) And she will be coming back for Enterprise Season 3, Episode 2, Anomaly, which of course is available on Paramount Plus. Sophia. Where can people find the where's Beverly podcast? Well, I mean, first of all, before we get into like where you guys are, where's Beverly? What's tell people why, what is, what is that title? What's that all about?
1: so uh where's beverly is a podcast currently focusing on star trek picard and uh the title comes from the main question that my co-host adrian and i had when first watching the first season of picard which is uh where's uh where's crusher at it's we, we see there's hinted at a lot of a lot of people are coming back like i'm a huge seven of nine fan but like She's not even from TNG and she's here. There's talks of the EMH, of like the doctor from Voyager coming on. Uh, Where is Beverly Crusher, guys? So uh, that's pretty much, so we focus on Picard episodes, but every episode we theorize where Beverly Crusher might be. Um, Some of those theories are, you know, for fun. Some of them are just basically us yelling at the Picard writers saying, add her into the episode. Yes! Especially if I can say after um one of the most I don't know if it'll be the most recent episode at this time of airing, but the prodigy episode, um, it Gates McFadden is not opposed to coming back to the Star Trek universe. Big red. <laughs> so put put her in Picard.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yes. And where can people find the Where's Beverly podcast?
1: So it is available wherever podcasts are uh, listened to. So we're on Spotify, iTunes, all the other ones. And we're on Instagram at at where's Bev and Twitter at at where's Beverly. And we're also on our Gmail is where's Beverly at gmail.com.
0: And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 forward.
1: subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis at that with a k on Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice da, of Fried da, Gold Network. Da, hashtag LLAP. Da, 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 we'll see you next time. Da,
0: da, 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 da. Going through a Star Trek. <laughs> we're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. And that's the show. Yay. Yay. Okay. So really quick because it's, it's getting very late. And I've, I've monopolized your time enough. And I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> Um, so I have a bit of a, I don't know that, I don't know that it's a theory, but it's definitely a, I don't know that it's a theory as to where Beverly is, but I think it's a desire to see this version of Beverly Crusher. Um, I, I, I think it would be interesting to see her having taken the opposite path of Picard. Like she stayed in Starfleet, like her, her Hippocratic oath she felt that her Hippocratic oath would be of more use within Starfleet. So at this point, I'd love to see her with her, with either her own command. So she's either a captain or, Mm. or she's at the age of, she's getting close to the end of her career. So now she is an admiral. Um,
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Which, I mean, you know, from watching Picard, like he went to Starfleet and was like, "Give me a ship," and they're like, "Uh, you feel free to go f- yourself." <laughs> which is what put him, yeah. which is what put him at at Will Riker's of like, "Hey, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm looking for a ship. I gotta do, you know, I gotta do this thing." So he clearly didn't. If if Beverly is still in Starfleet, he didn't go talk to her. And if he didn't, why?
1: Oh, I don't, ooh, no.
0: Has that for a slice of fried gold?